in your name, God. God, we just want to bless you, God, and give you all the praise that is due to you on this day. And God, just thank you for those who are here and those who are on the way. God, continue to bless this church as we continue to give forth and give praise to your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now. 
Lord, we give you thanks, and we give you praise, and we give you glory in this place and in this sacred space right now. Could you lift your hands all over the building, wherever you are, begin to bless the name of Jesus. God, we thank you right now that you are our healer. Lord God, I thank you that on the hilltop, you told Moses that I am that I am, which means that I will be what I will be, which means that whatever we need you for, God, you will be God. You will be comfort and you will be peace. And we thank you for that right now. Lord God, we give you worship and praise, Lord God. Blessed is your name, O Lord God, King of the universe, God. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And right now, in the name of Jesus, be pleased with our praise. Open up our hearts and our minds to hear and receive the word that you're going to give to us. Speak your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise all over the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're excited, especially give our new praise team members a hand. This is their second week. We're so glad that they're joining us. God is adding to our church in all ages and stages, and we seek to be a church of all people and all nations that God will be praised in what we do. How many of you are just excited to be here today? Um, T brought a guest with her today. She brought uh, her sister last week, and this week she's brought her grandmother, and we're so grateful for her. Give her a hand clap. Let her know we love her. Not going to put you on the spot because we want you to come back. But we're so grateful to have you here today. We're in the book. What book are we in, guys, today? Philippians. We're in the book of Philippians. So if you could come with us to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we are in the second chapter of Philippians now. We're grateful today for what God is doing. Also praying for Brother Dave as he's at the Jackson Church uh, and preaching at that campus there. We're grateful for the work that God is doing through him and others as they help uh, everywhere. It's amazing and it's wonderful that it's one thing to have enough for yourself, but it's a blessing when you got some that you can share with other people. How about that? I praise God for that. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, if you could stand for the reading of the, our Lord, you don't have to stand if you can't stand, but if you uh, are able to stand, there'll be one day that you wish you could. So while you have that opportunity, let's stand and read for the word of our Lord as is our custom. If you don't have uh, a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. Uh, we'd like to welcome our online church, those who serve uh, with us faithfully every week. Can you guys give them a hand clap? <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. A lot of reading today, but I think we can handle it. How about you? Uh, Y'all ready for the word? Uh, amen. Let's read together. It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do not, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, glory to God, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to go back to one scripture, uh, just verse 5, and it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to quote it to you in the King James. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal in God, but lowered himself to the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. And now because he has done that, God has exalted him to a name that is of every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to talk to you about this subject this morning. It's all in the state of mind. It's all in the state of mind. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Speak your servants. Listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap. You may be seated in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, we've been talking about Paul talking to the Philippian church, a Philippian church uh, that he is writing to from prison. Paul is in the midst of prison right now. He's not in a happy place, but Paul has joy in his heart. And the book of Philippians uh, talks more about joy than just about anything else. And we talked about last week, what is joy? Joy is an inward peace despite outward circumstances. Why is joy so important? Because happiness depends on happening. You give me some money, I'm happy. But if you require something with that money, I'm not as happy. You give me a job, I'm happy. When Monday comes and I have to go to work, I'm not as happy. You give me a house, I'm happy. You send me a mortgage bill, I'm not as happy. Happiness depends on happenings. You give me a wife, I'm happy. You tell me to take out the trash, you get the picture. <laughs> That happiness can depend on happenings, but the key is to have joy. Jesus says it this way, peace I give to you, not like the world gives. He gives us an inner peace. He gives us a state of mind, a state of spirit and soul that is much different than anything the world can give. Many people in many places and spaces across the world search for happiness and they search for peace and they find themselves lost and depressed. Why? It's because the only way you can find peace is to truly find the Prince of Peace, which is Christ Jesus. And as Paul is beginning to talk to the Philippians and tell them about his joy, he's leaving some things in his thank you letter to them that he sent by way of Epaphroditus. He's sending them this letter. And so in the previous, uh, previous verses, in the previous chapter, we talked about Paul and the that he had, but he opens with a rhetorical statement today. Obviously, these answers are yes, but he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, obviously we know there is. Paul is asking what we call a rhetorical question, a question that has an obvious answer. If there's any comfort and love, if there's any participation in the spirit or any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same 
mind, the same love being in full accord and, and in one mind. Paul is saying that if you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, if Christ has given you love and the Spirit's power lives in you, I ask that you have unity. I ask that you be together. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said that this way, I beseech you, brethren, that you keep the bond of unity and you fight for that within the bond of peace, the spirit of unity, rather, and the bond of peace because God is harmonious. We serve one God that is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everything they do is harmonious, which means that if we are to honor God with our lives, that as we interact with each other, we must act in harmony. We must act in peace. Many people asked, and he said, but how will men know that you are my disciples? Jesus never said that at, you'll know by the Talmud or the Torah that you carry under your arm at that day. In other words, he, they won't know that his disciples just by by carrying a Bible under your arm. He, you, they won't know that you are his disciples just because you know a bunch of Christianese and you can say a bunch of church words. They will not know that you are my disciples just because you come to church on Sunday. That's a good start. But Jesus says, by this all men will know that you follow me by the love that you have one for the other. we come and we congregate as believers what we are looking for even at the coffee corner downstairs I was excited as I heard the banter and all the joy that was down there why because when the people of God come together it, despite all of the things that we're going through in our individual lives it's good just to be able to collect in a fellowship with believers and know that through all of our hardships through all of our trials through all of our family issues through all of our health issues we have a body of believers that we can connect with and a God that will give us joy that keeps us in a point of homeostasis, a point that keeps us centered and keeps us at peace despite what our outward circumstances are. <laughs> People are curious about the God that you can smile about when we know. See, it's one thing for people not to know, but when people and your close friends and family, they know what you're going through. They know your situation, but they see a smile on your face. Curiosity comes in and they say, what is this that makes them this loving and have this much peace and this much joy? That's what draws people to Christ. The Bible says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. When people come in to the church and they feel the kindness and the love of God reaching out to them saying that there is a God that loves you and he seeks to rescue you from the path that you're on. Paul says this, you will complete my joy by being of the same mind of having the same love and being on one accord. That our minds are focused in unity. And as we said last week, unity is not uniformity. I love the way the praise team looks. You know why? Because it does not look uniform. We have different ages and different spaces and different ethnicities and all those things. And that's what heaven should look like because the key is not for us to look alike on the outside, but us to look alike on the inside. 
for us to have a love and a, and a binding joy in our hearts that gives glory to God. And then Paul begins to tell them how they can have this unity. Does anybody want that type of unity? Not just in the church, but in your personal relationships and your workspaces. How do we get that personal unity? I see, saw many people raising their hands and attesting to that. Well, he tells us how to do it. Pull verse three up on the screen. We'll read our prescription to ourselves. What does it say? It says this, verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, or, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. Pull up the ESV again. I want them to read it in plain English. Let's read it. Here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than themselves. Count other people more important than your own agenda. Anybody that's ever been to a Black Friday sale knows that's not the American way. <laughs> For many times, what we like to serve is me, myself, and I. We are worried about what we can get out of it. We're not worried about being servants. We're worried about our own greatness. And this is what we need to do. We need to examine our beliefs. Why? Because our beliefs determine our behaviors and our behaviors produce our results. Because if you don't forget, life is a series of decisions and decisions determine our direction. And if we don't divert for them, our decisions will denote our destiny, which means that wherever you are in life, Wherever you are relationally in your marriage or your friendships or your job, all you have to do is reverse engineer the steps that you've taken to get there. Why do we need to do that? Because you don't have the power, Pastor Ernie, to change anybody else. The only person you can change is yourself. So you notice when Paul talks about unity, he doesn't say convince other people to do what you want and to get along with you. He starts and says, if you're going to do this, do it by looking at yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Everybody say that word, humility. We don't like that word because from a word it comes humiliation. And we've made that a negative connotation. But the truth is that the Christian way is to lower, other, lower your, your wants and desires sometimes beneath other people for the cause of Christ. Jesus often did this. He would say, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them that hate you. If somebody steals your cloak or your... Uh, or sues you for your coat, take off your tunic and give it to him as well. Jesus's way is countercultural to the way of the world, the ways of the kingdom. Teach us not to seek our own good, but to seek the good of those who are around us. How many know the world would be better if we started seeking the, uh, uh, the good of the people around us and making decisions for the people, uh, for the good of them around us, rather than just for the good of our Sales. Paul addresses the Philippians and he completes a statement that implores the Philippians to be in one mind. And we covered that last week about them being in a singular goal. And that as we work together in the ecosystem of the kingdom, we can work in harmony and speak to the needs of those around us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but of humility. In other words, Paul is telling us to give ourselves a self-examination. Everybody say this 
this after me. What is my why? What is my why? Pastor, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that we see a lot of people doing things, and, and we've done some things and, at the church, and we feed hungry people and do all sorts of stuff, and we have food pantries up there, but we have to ask ourselves, why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Are we doing it because the cameras are on? Are we doing it so people can see the good that we do? Or are we doing it because we love Jesus and we want to honor him through service? Your why matters more than your what? Jesus doesn't just care about what you do. He also cares about why you do it. He says, do not be like the religious people and the Pharisees who go about and when they give their offerings, they clang them up and make sure they're giving corn. Why? So people can see how much they give. But he said, when you give, give in secret and the father that sees in secret will reward you openly. Why? Because Jesus wants other people to not worry about what you're giving. No, because he's saying, let your motive not be to be seen but by anybody but me what is your motive for serving Christ why is the reason that you're here are you here to seek your own fulfillment are you here to seek your own joy and that's okay if we get joy out of being around one another but is our overarching goal to serve Jesus with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength and to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves? this is the thing we need to realize that motive matters when seeds of genuineness are sown unity prevails if we do not check our motives we may find that we have planted a field in our lives with unsustainable fruit what does that mean that if you plant seeds that are not built on the right motives they will not last they will be just like Jesus says like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the wind came and the waves came and the house fell he says you need to be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and when the wind came and when the storms came they beat against the house and it began it, it kept standing because it was built on a firm foundation why do we have so much divorce in our culture why do we have so much negativity and hatred on our culture because we have built relationships on sand we have built on relational sand which is built off of I love you based off of what you do to me and what you do for me rather than I love you whether you do anything or not for me because my Christ and my Lord requires it for he is love. Selfishness destroys unity and it weakens relationships. Wherever you see relational turmoil, you can trace it back to seeds of selfishness. When you see people that can't get along or you see marriages or or, or siblings that can't give a, get along, you will find these things and these characteristics in those relationships. People that are unwilling to give. People that are unwilling to allow others' desires and passions to flourish because they want their desires and passions fulfilled the most. Unable to submit because it makes them feel less than. But Ephesians 3.20 says that we should submit ourselves to one another. Why should we do that? Because submission is love. Submission means that we may be equal, but I choose to put myself last and to put you first because I I care about your needs. 
How different would it be in marriages across the, the, across the nation? And instead of people saying, I want my spouse to do this for me, they start doing this for their spouse. And instead of saying, I don't like it this way, or I don't like to eat food this way, or I don't like this type of, uh, type of sports event, or I don't like to watch these shows, that you actually try to do something that you didn't like to show I care about you more than I care about my and if you continue to give that type of selfless sacrifice, it may take a while, but you know what will eventually happen? It will break down walls of pride and walls of arrogance and walls, of stone walls in people's hearts, and they will begin to follow Christ. When I was a student at Belhaven University, I remember one of our professors, I think it was my Old Testament or my New Testament professor, uh, Dr. Martin, he was telling us, uh, uh, of, of a woman, and this is a true story from South America. And her husband came to her one day, he wasn't a Christian, and he said, I do not want you going down to that church anymore. It's foolishness, and, and, and it takes me too much time to get to that church. And so I'm not going to take you anymore. And had she been an American woman, I could imagine that she would need a chiropractor because she would have got a crook in her neck and he would have got a pan on the side of his head. But this woman did something that was a lot different. She looked at him and said, okay. And what she did for him was phenomenal. She began to feed him and make sure his food was of the best food. She began to make sure that she gave him the best care in the world. Although he was taking something that she loved, she became nicer and more loving to him. And on Sundays, what she would do is she would take her children and she would go underneath the tree and she would begin to have service underneath the tree because you might stop me from coming to church, but you can't take the church out of me. And although he was mean and surly and hateful, as <clears throat> the more he began to chastise her, the nicer she became to her. He became, she became to him rather. And then one day he came and said, you know, I have to go in town today. So I'm going past that church of yours. I guess you can have a ride and get on the wagon. And she got on the wagon and he took her and dropped her off at the church and he pulled off. But what she did not know is that when he pulled off, he parked around the corner and he walked around and started peering on the inside of the window because he could not figure out for the life of him how he could be mean to his wife and take away something that she loved and she continued to love him and continued to treat him even better. I'd be checking my food, but she was giving him better food. And the next Sunday, he said, you know what? I've got to go into town again. And he began to pull off. And he, again that week, he began to come around. And he did this several times until one day he stopped looking in the window. And he walked up the aisle and gave his life to Jesus. Because she didn't seek her rights. She didn't seek equality. She didn't seek those things. She decided that to love Christ and to get him to Christ is more important than my equality. It's more important than my personal gain. She decided to defer herself. In other words, that Christ could be uplifted. And he saw Christ in her. 
Paul says in another passage, wives, if you have unbelieving husbands, be nice to them. Don't fuss at them because they don't come to church. Don't fuss at them because they don't show up. He said, but you be godly and you may win them by your kind and humble and gentle spirit that Christ's way doesn't work the way we work. We don't fight with might. We fight with love and the spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. People are in a state of disarray all over their life because they live their lives just for them. James 3.16, can you pull it up on the screen? This is the brother of Jesus. James 3.16, I want us to read that together if they have it, if they pull it up. The book of James chapter 3 verse 16, what does it say? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Send me any marriage that's failing, and I will send, you will send me people that are selfish. Either one or both, because they always want to seek their own way. And sometimes the only reason they come to the counselor is not to be better for themselves, but so the counselor can be the referee and tell the other person that they're crazy. <laughs> Selfishness. Selfishness destroys our lives. Pride is disrupting and many are willing to burn the ship if they are not in the helm. If I can't get my way in this marriage, I'm going to make sure that this marriage is miserable. Well, pastor, that's not our culture. Don't believe it. Finish this sentence for me. If mama ain't happy. Selfishness. If daddy ain't happy. Selfishness. That comes because our culture preaches selfishness and self-serving. Today we call it this. We don't like to call it the same things. Today we like to whitewash words and make them sound better. But we'll call it butting heads or our favorite word, irreconcilable difference. I don't even know what that means. You know what that means? That we're too selfish to try to get along with each other. That's what that means. We're too selfish to say we're sorry and mend the friendship. We'll let the friendship die rather than lower ourselves. We knew. Guess what? You don't have to be the wrong person to say you're sorry. Jesus didn't say if you offend your brother. He says if your brother has a problem with you, you may be in the right. He said don't even come worship. Leave your gift at the altar and go make it right because they may not be saved. They may not know better, but you know my love and my forgiveness. So the responsibility is on you whether you're at fault or not you make it right you restore that relationship you work to bridge and create unity and peace well they don't deserve it well you don't deserve mercy and if it was deserving it wouldn't be mercy give them the same mercy that you want to receive because I've learned something in life the mercy you give may be the mercy that you need that at some point in life, we're all going to offend somebody. At some point in life, we're all going to do something wrong. At some point in life, we're all going to make mistakes. And we want to make sure that we have lived a life such that people will treat us with the same mercy that and love that we've treated them with. If you find harshness many times, it's because you have been harsh. 
Because the Bible says, be ye not deceived. God is not mocked, Aaron, whatsoever a man sow, that shall he also reap. Whatever seeds we sow are the ones that come to us. The Bible has a more accurate description of irreconcilable differences or falling out of love or traveling different paths. It calls it, calls it these words. Everybody say pride, pride. Envy, envy, and jealousy. And they're all stemming from one word. Everybody say selfishness. selfishness. How many of us can admit that in some of our life, in some area, even, even if we're not married, if, our, if it's in our friends and our family and our relationships, sometimes we can be a little selfish. And that selfishness wants to make things better for us, but it really makes things worse. Why? Because we may get what we want, but in the end, we're going to pay for it. Yeah. When I visit nursing homes, sometimes I used to think that everybody that was alone in a nursing home just had no good family and people that went off and lived their lives and they didn't care. But as I began to talk to people in the nursing home, I figured out that some of those people had lived selfish lives and they cared about nothing but themselves. And now when they couldn't take care of themselves, there was nobody to take care of them because they only cared about me, myself, and I. They never for a second thought that one day I'm going to need somebody We do not go through this world on an island by ourselves, but we need each other. I need you and you need me. We all need each other. The Paul said that the hand does cannot say of the foot that I do not need you, but we are all the body of Christ. And when one hurts, we should all hurt. When one bleeds, we should all bleed. When one cries, we should all cry. Jesus says weep with those who weep and mourn with those who more we whip with them but we also encourage them and let them know that weeping will endure for a night but I'm here for you and joy comes in the morning that we're empathetic and we care about the people around us selfishness is a thing that will seek personal advantage in spite of how it may affect other people the enemy will try to even come into churches and cause disunity through cliques and titles and hierarchies and statuses. That's why you don't hear me calling a bunch of titles around here. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your title is. Our only title, even me as the pastor, is servant. Wherever we need to serve, we serve. I don't care if you're deacon. I don't care if you're pastor. I don't care if you're trustee. I don't care if you're on the praise scene. Our number one title in this church is servant. None of us are higher than the other, but we are all here to serve one another because we follow the model of Jesus that the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Amen. we want to do away with selfishness and Jesus is our example of selfless love when Jesus walked the earth he had 12 disciples and there was a mother 
She was the wife of a man named Zebedee, and she decided to get personal advantage for her sons. Not to mind that there are other 10 other people that are walking with Jesus. She doesn't care who it offends, but she cares about her sons. And she walks to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I want you when you come into your kingdom with all is well. I want one of my sons to sit at your left and one to sit at your right. In other words, when things go well for you, I'm not worried about anybody else but my children. I see everybody else out here in the wilderness. I see everybody else running from stones like you're running from. I see everybody else sacrificing just like my children are sacrificing but when you come into your kingdom I want them to be at the pinnacle of power I want them to be in charge and and Jesus said this is not mine to give and what did it cause among the disciples it caused dissension because the Bible says when the disciples heard it I'm gonna modernize it they felt some type of way they were upset how dare you Try to get personal advantage for yourself. And we're all here suffering. So Jesus doesn't answer to that. It says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 through 28, they can pull it up, but I'll read it for a second time. It said, but Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But what does it say here? It shall not be so among who? You. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Let's read that last verse together. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Let's read that together. I want to hear all of us read. That's a beautiful thing. Faith come by what? Hearing. Let's read that together. What does it say? And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I'm not seeking my own personal gain. I am here for the cause of Christ and those that follow me, I require that they do the same. I don't want you serving for your own personal gain. Notes aside, but last teacher's meeting, I, I was telling our leaders in the teacher's meeting, I said, as pastors, I watch stuff. I watch when, when, when other people are preaching or teaching and other people are, are in the service and you never share or like the post, but as soon as you teach, you share it five or six times. I watch that stuff. Because that shows you only care when it's your turn to teach. You only care when it's your turn to preach. Maybe you should check your... You should be just as excited for people to hear other people spread the gospel as you. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Elevation in the kingdom of God does not come from self-promotion. It comes from self-denial. It comes from self-sacrifice. And it comes from selfless service. Promotion in the kingdom does not come from the elevation of ourselves. Paul put it this way as we get ready to leave. He says, I want you to have this type of mind because you're not going anywhere beyond your mindset. Because the Bible says, so is a man thinking, so is he. So if I'm going to live this way, way it's all in the state of mind everybody said what state of mind am I in he says this verse 5 have this mind among yourselves which was also 
in Christ Jesus. Amen. Though he was in the form of God, in, um, in other words, Jesus himself is God. He's God in the flesh, John says, which means that he has the highest level in the universe. Mm. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the most powerful being in the creation and beyond the creation. The Bible says in him all things were made and there was not anything that was made without him. Jesus is all powerful. That's why I said he, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped. Just because he was equal with God, he didn't assert his rights and say this creation has gone astray. Let them do whatever they want. I'm not going to subject myself to death and the pain for something that they did. That's their fault. We can wipe them out and start over. And if we be honest, most of us have ever asked our question, ourselves that question, why have we, why didn't God just wipe us out and start over? It speaks to our state of mind. How we think. If it was me, <coughs> I'd just wipe them out and start all over. <laughs> If it was me, I'd hit block and change my friend list and act like I don't see him when I go to Walmart and walk down the other aisle. If it was me, that's what I would do. But Jesus says it this way. He says he saw he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. In other words, he, he decided not to take his rights. How much more fruitful would, would marriage be? Sometimes husbands, although we have the right to lead our families, that sometimes even though we're right, we could defer not because we're weak and we're piecemeal, but because sometimes you can win a battle and lose a war, that we choose to defer our right to be right and love people where they are. How much different would marriages be if we deferred our own personal equality? We hear that word thrown around all the time. Everybody wants equality and rights and everybody wants pride. Why? Because those are things that are worldly and we don't realize it because Jesus said pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before falls. Pride is the opposite of humility. Jesus is not pleased with pride. Jesus is pleased with humility. Why? Because he himself humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross. And the Bible says that in being found in human form, hmm, he took the form of a servant, verse 7, and being found in the likeness of men, he put on flesh. He took on flesh when he was all powerful. He took on that. And this is the thing that blows my mind. Everybody say he humbled himself. He did not have to die for you. Not at one time did he have to die for you. The Bible gives a record that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane was praying, saying, I really don't want to do this. He says, if possible, let this cup pass for me or passeth from me in the old King James. But for those of you who speak English, let me modernize it for you. I really don't want to do this. They turned their back on you. I didn't. This is not my mess. This is theirs. 
If we can find another way out of this, I would appreciate it. That's what he's saying. If we can find another way to do this, I would, I would appreciate it. That's what, if possible, if this cup could pass it for me, let it be. In other words, if there's another way to do this, I sure would appreciate it, Father, if you came up with it right now, because this is not my fault. But then he humbled himself, even though he had the right to say, that's it, I'm done. You let do with them what they will. I'm on my way back home, Father, because he's equal with the Father. But he humbled himself and said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done in other words your will will be more important than my will how about marriages where husbands say what you want sometimes is more important than what I want and why I'm saying what you want is more important than what I want many times I don't want to go to this restaurant but I go because you love it I don't want to watch this TV show but I watch it because you love it I don't want to do this or that because I do it because I love it Sister McLaughlin blessed my heart the other week because I found out, and I'm not going to tell her business, she liked a certain type of TV show. And I, I said, I couldn't imagine you liking that. I love that. And she said, well, you can't be married to Archie and not like it. In other words, because my husband liked it, I learned to love it. And that blessed my soul. And that's why they've been married so long, because they're not worried about doing their own thing. They're worried about loving one another and putting the other's interests above their own. How much better would life be? We took a back seat and gave somebody else the front. But since we were kids, everybody wants to ride shotgun. <laughs> we race to beat everybody else out. And never open the door and say, now it's your turn. How about we have that state of mind that we stop trying to ride shotgun. And every now and then we open the front door for somebody else. That we stop being self-centered and focus only on our problems long enough to see that somebody else who's smiling on the outside, their eyes are red because they're trying to cover up the pain in their life. That we stop being so self-consumed and so self-focused that we can see that other people are going through and be there for them because their problem may be a little bit tougher or at least tougher for them to handle than yours. But let's see the reward as we get ready to go. Because Jesus died and gave himself to death on the cross, verse 9 says, because of this, that's what therefore means. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's not just a name, it's Jesus, because there were several people in the Bible who had the name Jesus and bar Jesus. That's not what it means. That name means authority. When they said, I go into his, his, his name, that means God gave him authority that is above every authority. He says he exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, how many? Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That word Lord in Greek is kurios. It means controller. It is that he is the controller to the glory of God the Father. He was exalted because he humbled himself. Jesus even said it this way. For those that exalt themselves will be humbled. But those that humble themselves will be exalted. I would much rather be lifted up by God than knocked down by him. 
If you build your pedestal, it's built on sand. But if God builds the pedestal he puts on you, it's built on a solid foundation. So this week as we go out into life, I want to ask you a question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to your hearts personally right now? Where is he nudging your heart saying, you're not here by accident, you're here by intent and design. I wanted you to hear this because you're missing out on some blessings that you could have because you're a little more selfish than you need to be. And I want you to move that out of your life so not only that you can give love, but you can receive the love that you're giving. That you show up to church this time with five or six people because you love them. It's all in the state of mind. I ask you one question today. What's on your mind? I was talking with somebody the other day as we get ready to close. And they were asking me questions and they finally asked that I have questions for them. And I said, yes, what are you thinking right now at this moment? And you should see fear just pop up in their eyes. <laughs> Why? Because people don't like to expose what's in their hearts. We like to conceal it. But the thought of it is, no matter how much you try to hide it from us, he sees it. And he knows it. So I don't ask for his benefit. I ask for yours. Is your heart really where it needs to be with Christ? Is your heart really set to serve him like you know he wants you to? If not, today's your chance. The day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. This is not a place of judgment, but this is a day of challenging and love as we get ready to come to this altar. Guys, if you could pull up, oh, come to the altar by Elevation Worship. I'll let you play that today. But this altar is open as we get ready to close for those who want to dedicate their life to God. For those who who may just want to spend a little time in prayer, this is the time that you can come as we get ready to pray. I'm going to pray over you for God's joy and love and peace to encompass you and that when God comes into your life the way you want him to come into your life, you become like John and say, I must decrease so that he must increase. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of Holy Spirit. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that the word that has been given will touch our hearts and make our hearts burn. Lord God, that it will impact us to be closer to you and God to live the best life we have with what you've given us, God, by the empowerment of your spirit. God, help us to love people and to put other people first. God, help us to not always run to run to ride shotgun and give us joy in opening the front seat for others. Help us to be selfless and not selfish. To experience the joy that comes from serving others. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. The altar will be open. I'm